inspiring message by Paul Van Essen at Greater Life Church. For more information about us, do visit our website www.greaterlife.org.uk. Praise God. Great to worship God. Thank you for being with us. And uh, what a joy and a privilege I have uh, to bring the Word of God to you. And I want to preach more than teach today. And uh, preaching is proclaiming. It's getting the message out clearly. Teaching is something we also do. And teaching has more to do with explaining. So if you want to be taught some of the things, especially some of the things we talk about today, then our e-thoughts that we send out every day uh, involve a little bit of teaching that will help you. And then, of course, the videos we mentioned. We've got a seminar that will be coming up in the next month in early March. And then we're also preparing just some proper online training and teaching courses uh, that are going to be uh, helpful in that area and covering all kinds of really vital topics. So, but today I want, to, I want to speak on this. I want to talk to you about take the land, run to win, seize the day. That's the message title. Take the land, run to win, seize the day. We're in an un precedented hour of opportunity for the church that's heaven's perspective my job as a as a leader as an apostolic leader as a prophetic voice if you like is to interpret what heaven is saying because what heaven is saying is often different to what earth is saying and if we're not careful we're going to be so inundated with what earth says that we block off hearing what heaven says Heaven has given us a grand opportunity. This day today is a day like no other. And we're going to take the land and we're going to run to win and we're going to seize the day. Let me take a few minutes on each of those points for you today. Taking the land, of course, I'm referring to the Old Testament truths talked about when God promised his people, I'm going to take you into the so-called promised land. We still refer to it as that also known as Canaan, a land that flowed with milk and honey. In other words, a a land that was so richly blessed and extraordinary and special and wonderful and better than average. And that was God's promise for God's people. And it's a picture of what we have in the New Testament. That promise is still for God's people. Now, it is not, understand this, it is not a picture of heaven. Sometimes, you know, we have been taught stuff. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, the other day who's a minister about my age, um, and, and we have good fellowship uh, around the things of God, you know. And he said to me, he, he texted me, and, he, and we chat every couple of weeks, and he said, what do you think Moses was doing when he was standing on the hill, you know, lifting his hands, and down there Joshua is battling and the army is winning? Remember that? And every time he lifted his hands, they won the battle. And if he put his hands down, they started losing. So after his hands got tired, he had his brother, uh, her, her, I think, on one side. And then somebody else on the other side, lifting his hands. And and, and so I've talked about that before. That is is an anointing uh, that is upon him that is transferred onto the battlefield. And that's a no-brainer for me. 
you know, that's my perspective, certainly. And, uh, and, and he said, you know, that's exactly what I think. He said he's re- he reads all these commentaries. He said he's read all these commentaries, like various different ones. He said, I've only found one so far that doesn't say that he was praying and interceding for Israel. And I thought to myself, you're kidding me. I, I was really surprised. I don't read that many commentaries, to be honest. But it was just interesting to note how many things we have interpreted or handed down. The idea, for example, and I'm coming to my point, don't worry. But the idea that Paul the Apostle in the 17 years where we know he was out in Saudi Arabia, and we've developed this idea, it still floats around, that he's off there praying and seeking God for 17. What a load of rubbish. It's not even in the Bible. It's clear what he was doing in the Bible. He was out there preaching, straight away preaching the gospel. He was leading people to Christ. He was actually establishing churches. And uh, so we can teach about that one day. All I'm saying is that a lot of times we've interpreted ideas and sometimes there'll be elements of the Christian church that have thought, oh, yes, Canaan, one day we get to the other side, you know, and that's heaven. And then there'll be peace and then it'll be on that celestial shore and it will be wonderful. And I'm going to talk about it some more in the months that are ahead. But that is not what this is talking about. The type or the example, the allegory of of this uh, Canaan land, a land flowing with milk and honey, is not a type of heaven. It's a type of the victorious Christian life. It's a type of, it's an example of what comes to you when you walk in faith, trust God, and have that spirit that says we're going to take the land. And it's easy to, 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 to explain that in simple terms. In heaven, there's no battles to fight, ladies and gentlemen. There's no enemies. There's no demons there. But believe me, they had battles to fight taking the land. It was serious. Now, you probably know the story. There were 12 dis, uh, 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 sent ones. There were 12 men leaders that were sent to spy out this land, to check it out. God had said, you're going to take that land. I'm giving it to you. These are the leaders from 12 tribes, and of those 12, 10 of them came back with what the Bible called a bad report, a negative report, an unbelieving report. They basically said, the guys there are big, like, yeah, it's blessed, like, like the, the, the grapes are size of watermelons, you know, like to carry the grapes in this land, you have to get two guys, and you put them on a stick between your shoulders, the grapes, you know, I mean, the the cow, the the eggs are coming out, you know, the size of ostrich eggs, and uh, it's it's super blessed, you know, the pineapples, you know, they are they are as big as a, as big as a barrel, they're huge, and uh, all the the mangoes, the mango trees are just overladen, and 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 it's just beautiful, but there's these really big serious enemies that we have to defeat, and we don't think. We can do it. Come on now. That's the same spirit we have in the world today. We need to eradicate that spirit from the Christian church as much as we can. I'm here to inspire you to walk away from that kind of thinking that says you can't and start to embrace trusting God because you have to do that if you're going to take the land. You see, those two spies that came back with a positive report, they said, oh, yeah, there's big guys there. Absolutely. But there's also blessed and Ultimately, God said, we're going to take it, so we're going to take it. That was Joshua and Caleb. And those two 
were the only two out of all that crew that got into that land. It was always there for them, but they couldn't take it if they wouldn't trust in God's words. And that's the story we need to understand today. There is a victorious Christian life. It is available for you. It's been provided for by Jesus already. But it's always going to take you believing and acting courageously to take that land, to live in that place. Now, that place is not a place where you're building yourself a multi-story, multi-million dollar uh, you know, beautiful triple-fronted home and driving in your matching, you know, uh, Mercedes G-wagons in and out of the car and having people cut. That that kind of image is just, it's tragic. You know, there there are, it's, it's just, uh, you know, idiocy. Um, that is not what God has intended for you. It's good to live in a good place. That's no problem. Be blessed. But if that's your dream, then you've missed the gospel completely. Jesus laid down his life for people. It's people that matter. So if God gives you riches or God gives you influence or God gives you ability or God opens doors, then use that to reach people. And if some blessing sticks on you on the way through, great. That's awesome. I'm happy for that. But that is not the central goal. And it's not a matter of once you're in a position in your life, listen to me well, if you are in that position, you're, you're blessed, you know, things are working well for you. And, and, and your perspective is, hey, there's, there's just no, really no pressure. There's really no problems. I've got time to do everything I want. I don't even have to work that hard. I can retire early. I can walk the dog three times a day. I, can have, I don't have to cook because I can have people come in and cook for me. I don't have to clean because I can have... And you end up doing... All, and now, if you're in a state where there is nothing to fight anymore, there's, a, there's no resistance, there's no, then you're in a sad state. You're in a state that needs me this morning to wake you up and say, come on now, that is not what we're called to because taking this land is going to require us to courageously battle against enemies. And the enemies are not, you know, uh, 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 material things. The enemies are the spirit of fear. The enemies are the spirit of doubt. The enemies are hatred. The enemies are, are anxiety and worry. These are the things that come against you and try and tear you out of that land of victorious living. But I want you to know that God is good to all of his promises. He always has been. He always will be. It's impossible, the Bible says, for God to lie. Now you get to make your choice. You can either believe that what he said is what he meant and he meant and, and and what he meant is what he said and you can take him at his word and you will find that the doors of taking the land open up to you you still have to be courageous you know a believing believer as i would call them not just a believer but a real believing believer they are going to be a something of an oddity within the church but let's change that i'm here to change that i'm happy to lead the way Come on, let's make the average Christian a really believing believer that steps out, that trusts God, that is more moved by what came out of the mouth of God and the utterance of heaven than they are by the circumstances that are around them or by the lies of the enemy or by the old kinds of thinking that are going to keep you going out in that desert round and round, year after year, whinging about that, whinging about this, just like they did, not showing, 
just like they did, whinging about the leadership, whinging about when actually you can take the land. You were built to take the land. You were born to take the land. You were born again to live in this victory. So come on, champions. Let's believe God and let's remember this. To take the land, you have to choose to leave the old. You have to say, I've had enough of being subject to the emotions, the spirit of this world, the dismal spirit or the failing spirit or the planet is going to go to pot spirit or the you know devil is going to take over the world spirit or whatever it's not god is not coming back for a bride that is that is hunkered down defeated ugly and stripped of her honor jesus is coming back for a church that is glorious in the middle of warfare that is awesome in love whilst being hated that is magnificent in power whilst being yelled at and accused of being powerless, that is full of grace and kindness while people take your food, take your homes and take your dignity. That is what Jesus is coming back for. And that's what we're talking about today. It's taking, it's the spirit of taking the land. You've got to choose to leave the old. You've got to know you've got to fight. So you've got to keep your nourishment up. That's why hearing the word of God and being taught and trained in the word of God and being connected with people that are like-minded in their spirit is crucial for you to become what God called you to become. And you've got to know this, as you go, he goes with you. That was the promise to Moses. That was the promise to Joshua right in the beginning when God called Joshua. He said, Josh, my son, he was an Australian on that day. He said, Josh, Moses, my servant, tremendous man, Moses. Moses, God says pretty, pretty succinctly, Moses, my servant, is dead. He's gone. So you arise right now. You get up and you go and take this land. And I'm going to be with you everywhere you go, just like I was with Moses. And every place that you set your foot, God's going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. God's like that. He is with you as much as he was with Moses or Joshua. You are actually born of God, a child of God now because of what Jesus has done, a benefit that Moses and Joshua did not have. So let's take, not allow ourselves to fall into old kind of thinking and old kind of excuses. Let's be bold and take the land, and know this, as you go, he goes with you. As you go, he goes with you. If you sit there and do nothing, God does nothing. Because God moves in your moving. He's entrusted himself to people. I remember, I think it was Edmund Burke, I think he was an Irish politician and, and leader, who said years ago, and you might have heard this quote before, I'm sure it was him, he said, the only thing that's required for the victory of evil is that good people do nothing. Now, I'm not talking really about good and bad. I'm talking about getting the gospel out there. I'm talking about bringing the kingdom. And the only thing that's required for the kingdom not to be brought is that God's people do nothing. He can't move without you. Whether you pray, whether you walk, whether you lay hands on people, God has limited himself to move with people. 
And where there's no preaching of the gospel, there'll be no salvation. It has to. And where there's no prayer. So listen, God has entrusted himself to us. And when we move, he moves. When you phone call somebody and say, I want you to know I love you. I want you to, I, I want to pray for you. I want you to know you've been on my heart. I want to just see how you are. When you move, God moves with you. Take the land. Number two. Number two, run to win. Along with that, you've got to have a spirit that is determined to win, that is going to run to win. Now, at this point, I'm going to read you one of my favorite passages out of the Bible. It's in 1 Corinthians 9. Won't hurt you to follow along, but I want you to catch it. So if you're going to follow along in your Bible, you better grab it now. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'm just reading a few verses from 24, uh, 24 through to 27, through to the end. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'm reading from 24 just through to the end. And uh, But if you're, it's cool. If you haven't got your Bible, just listen. Listen to this. Listen to this. Don't you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run to win. So run like you're going to get that prize. Run in such a way as to get that prize. This is not this is not like, oh, you know, for the special ones. This is not like God is saying, oh well, since you've been a Christian for 10 years, or you've been called to the ministry, or whatever, it makes no difference. God is speaking to his people, to these Corinthian bunch, who probably had more problems than you and I have. But still he tells them, listen to me, run as in such a way as to win that prize. And then he goes on. Everyone who competes in the games, like the Olympics, goes into strict training. There's discipline. They, they do it to get a crown that isn't going to last. A gold medal, you know, an FA Cup medal, you know, a World Cup rugby champions medal, treasured by the people that won them and uh, dedicated years of their lives. And many people, whether it's rugby, athletics, swimming, diving, tennis. Many, many people have dedicated their lives to win that goal and haven't got it. But at least they put themselves in the race and they ran to win. Now, the awesome thing is this. Listen, they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. You're going to get a crown if you will run to win and embrace the disciplines that go with that. And I'm going to help you with that in the, in the weeks ahead. Embracing those disciplines, learning how to do that. You know, like he says, they go into strict training. If you're a swimmer, you know, in Australia, in Australia we've had a lot of good swimmers Olympic, at Olympic level. And, uh, and a very high percentage, we, we like all the outdoors and all that stuff. But, but you talk to the people who are even in the running for the Olympic team. Loads of them didn't even get in the Olympic team, let alone get to s swim in the final. And those guys are not going out at night, not going out in the day. Getting up at five o'clock in the morning, swimming, it's like putting your head, one of them said, it's like putting your head in a bucket for three hours. Just swim up and down, up and down, up and down. Training note, let's get the diving right. Up and down, up and down. Hours. Hours before school or before uni or before work. Then you go and do what you do. Then you come home 
hours more. Can't see friends, can't go out, certainly can't eat a pizza because you're on a special diet, because you're training to get ready, to have a shot, to go into a team that might put you in a race and you might get to the final. And of course, it's, it's way less than one in a million that win those races. Now you're getting a heavenly prize. You're getting a crown that lasts forever. You're going to stand before God if you'll run to win. And God's going to say, come forward. And there'll be like a podium. Same kind of deal. And it's not at the expense of others. Because everybody who runs to win will get the prize. And you'll get a magnificent crown on your head. And you'll wear that forever. Not like some who have had to, through bad or sad circumstances, had to sell the FA Cup medal that they won 30 years ago because circumstances are such that they've put it up for, for hock or whatever we call it. And uh, But that, no, 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 forever. You walk around in heaven with a crown. You have to have that kind of inspiration, that vision to help you to run to win. I'm here to tell you today that it doesn't matter that it's winter. It doesn't matter if you like snow or don't like snow. It doesn't matter if you're Scottish and you're thrilled that they won or you're English and you're not happy that, that we lost the rugby yesterday. It doesn't matter whether there's COVID. It doesn't matter whether the restrictions get worse or get better. It doesn't matter whether the vaccines all work or don't work as well as we thought. It doesn't matter whether we get to fly next month or next year or not for 10 years. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you run to win for Jesus. Get your eyes on the prize, folks. Don't be deceived by the, the lack of temporary comforts down here in this world. You have been called. Heaven is alive. Heaven is on fire. People are cheering for you. And you've got one shot at this life. Let's, let's run to win. Burn it in your spirit. I'm going to run to win. Will you fail? Absolutely. Will you have bad days? All the time. Will it make any difference? No, you get up and you go again. You don't have to get it all right. You just have to keep the fire of God in your life and you have to not quit. And if you're feeling like quitting, then talk to the right people. Get connected with people like us. And there are others, I'm sure, out there. Get connected. Talk. Talk to Owen. Talk to Caroline. Get us to pray for you on the phone. Get hungry and say, I'm going to run this race to win. And I want to. And I feel like I'm flagging. Help me. And we'll help you. Because I want you to get to heaven and, and get out on that podium and hear Father say, here is a crown for all the running that you did for my kingdom and for me. And that will be a glorious moment. That'll be worth everything you've ever lived for. All right, I'm going to close in just a little while. I've got one more thing to share, though, haven't I? Run to win. Take the land, run to win, seize the day. Do you know that quote, seize the day? It comes from a film back in 1989, I think it was. And uh, it was one of my favorite films at the time. It had a massive impact at the time. It was called Dead Poets Society. It was directed by an Australian guy called Peter Weir. And it was about a group of young male students in a school called Welton Academy. It was a boarding school, very proper. 
and it was in Vermont in the New England states. And so a lot of rich and wealthy kids were there and all that kind of thing and privileged kids. And in comes Robin Williams, who's John Keating. And John Keating is, a, is a, uh, a, an English teacher and highly respected in a school like that. But he's a little atypical. He's not your run-of-the-mill guy. He's got a passion and a vision for people and their lives, which is different to most teachers. And it didn't go well down, down well with the Academy. If you want to watch an inspiring film, Dead Poet Society, it's got some tragedy in it, so be aware of that. But it's a great film. In towards the very beginning, when he meets these boys, he's in this um, he's in this like a like a foyer, and uh, and he's talking to them, and there's six or eight of them or something like that. They become the core people in the film, and uh, and he's and he talks to them, and he asks one of them to read a poem, Mister Pitts, and so Mister Pitts reads a few lines from Gather. Ye rosebuds, why ye may. You might have heard that. And it goes like this, these few lines. Gather, ye rosebuds, why ye may. Old time is still a-flying. And this same flower that flowers, that smiles today, tomorrow will be dying. And then he brings them over to the glass case with all these photographs of People, former students, many of whom doubtless have achieved great things, and there they are sitting in their teams of rugby or whatever, and, and the camera pans slowly across them. And he says, why am I asking you to read this poem? Why? Because, boys, we are food for worms. And he reminds them. He kind of gets their attention. And he says, look at these guys. I bet you haven't looked closely. Look closely at these eyes and they begin to look look at these faces from the past and we see them and he says that they're just like you full of hormones just like you dreaming of a great life believing and feeling they're invincible just like you and then he says and boys today they're fertilizer for daisies in other words they're gone They've run their race. They've finished. And then he says, but if you listen very closely, you can hear them whisper their legacy to you. And he gets them all to lean in like this. And he's a bit, he's, he's an odd chap. He goes, carpe. Like this. Carpe. And they come look around. Carpe diem. Seize the day, boys. Seize the day. And the whole point of that film is how young people can learn to grasp the opportunity that's in front of them. Grab this day. Grab this opportunity. Are you alive? You've got an opportunity. I know you had some bad things happen. I know you probably did some bad things this week. I know in the last 12 months, for sure, it hasn't turned out what you thought. But you've got a day. And you have an opportunity to seize the day or not. He ends with it. He says, he says in the end of this scene, make your lives extraordinary.
Now, I want you to make your life extraordinary. And not just because I'm a, a nice guy and a, I've got a father's heart for God's people, but because Jesus has picked you and pulled you to himself. And he didn't do that so you could just snuggle up in a cotton wool ball and, and live a happy little life. I, I'm happy if you have those things. I really am. You know, and I'm wearing a nice leather jacket and I have some nice things. And Carrie and I, you know, we're older than average. Well, actually, I'm not even sure if that's true. But we're not in the first half of our lives, put it that way. And so we've worked hard and we've been through lots of things and we've been able to get a few things. But if that ever becomes the thing I live for, and that's one of the reasons I just keep giving things away. And, I just, and sometimes I give away really nice things because I just don't want to get attached. I'm just not going to because I'm here for something more extraordinary than that. And so are you. And if I've got a role as a leader, as an apostle, as a sent one from God preaching the message, then you've got a role to receive the word of God and to do something with it. Come on, let's act. Let me, let me close with a scene that all the Scots will love from yesterday. And it's one of my favorite films. And I just got really inspired about this yesterday as I'm watching those Scots, you know, battle the English. And the commentators are like even 10 minutes to go and they're counting down every second, you know. It's such a big deal. The Calcutta Cup, you know. But I remember one of the most inspiring speeches, and if you haven't seen this film, you may want to see it or see it again. Uh, you know, in Australia, it was enormously popular. We love The Underdog, and it's, it's hugely uh, uh, well-respected. I'm not sure how popular it was in England, but for people who love to be a champion, the film Braveheart was just a great film. Not, not particularly historic. It had some historic references, but we're not watching it for history. But we're watching it to inspire people's lives. And this guy, Braveheart, in this film played by Mel Gibson, well, he does that. And this one speech, maybe the central speech, it's full of great quotes about leadership, but maybe the central speech of the whole film is when he's gathering, he's met with, he's on his horse in his blue and white, and he's talking to these massed people of Scotland who want to fight. And they want to preserve their freedom, but they're terrified of this English war machine that has demolished them time after time. And he says to them, sons of Scotland, and I probably won't get into the accent unless I get really carried away. But he says, sons of Scotland, I am William Wallace. And they say, oh, yes, yes. He says, I am William Wallace. And he says, and I've gathered with you as free men. And free men you are. But what are you going to do with that freedom? Are you going to fight? And the guy says, no, we will run and we will live. <laughs> and he says, I run and you may live. Fight. And uh, first he says, fight and you may die. Run and you may live. At least for a while. But then, many years from now, lying in your beds, dying. What would you give? Would you give every day? Would you be willing to trade every day from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom 
And he cries it out passionately, rallies them, and they win against all odds. It's a great film. But the point is this. How do you look at your life? Oh, yes, you could take the more relaxed route. But we've got to seize the day. You've got one chance at today. Tomorrow doesn't come. I'm sure you've heard that. But the only thing you've got to work with is today. If you say, I'm going to decide that tomorrow, you'll never do it. Because tomorrow will never come. So the only day you've got to decide something is now. And that's what he's inspiring those Scots to do. One day you'll be old. One day you'll be dying. And will you ever have a chance like this again? Sure, the odds are stacked against us. Sure, some of us are going to lose our lives. But we are going to fight and stand for our freedom. Now, we're not fighting for a national cause like that. But in our spirits, we are fighting for the kingdom of God like that. And the kingdom of God is looking for men and women like that. And they're not all going to be leaders like that. Leaders, by definition, are, are far and few between. But followers, people that will gather as an army, that's you guys. It's your opportunity to hear the rallying cry of heaven. And I tell you, I'm not the only one, but I am one that's bringing a rallying cry from heaven in the midst of adversity, in the midst of negativity, in the midst of fear. There's never been a greater opportunity. And believe me, things will come against you. And believe me, as you go into that promised land, there will be giants. Giants like the vaccine isn't working. Giants like I've got no money anymore. But God always has a way through. God always has a victory for you. And these things are actually set up. Did you know that you were sent to the earth at this time? Psalm 139 verse 16 tells you these days were made for you. You were sent at a time that is going to work well for you. You've got to dem demolish the idea that somehow the adversity is too big. It is never too big for God. Stay connected to the Lord. Keep your faith strong. Have a spirit inside of you that takes the land, that runs to win, that seizes the day. Because today is your day. This is your finest hour. This is your greatest moment. Don't tell me you had one once or you're going to have one in the future. It's today. I'm, I'm crying out to you. Run to win. Run with passion for Jesus. Put him first in your heart. Do everything you can to keep your heart right. Connect with people that are going to champion you becoming a great person in God. And never quit, my friends. 